Hi, I'm Rob, and this is Dad Sofa, a podcast about the things that connect us. Whether it is a rained-off attempt at a trip to the pub, or string theory, a cycle to Cornwall, or a chat in the sea, we talk about the stuff of life, what makes us curious, the stuff that connects everything, the spaghetti of life. Come and join us. Get comfy. This is Dad Sofa. In our hall, there is an envelope. Well, there are a stack of envelopes, actually, but that's because of our tendency to pick post out of the box and leave it on the side. But I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about one that was passed down to me and now sits in a frame at the bottom of the stairs. Next to it, there is a letter dated 9th of June, 1952, on headed notepaper from the Hotel Belfast. It simply states the following. Dear Mr Bishop, Thank you so much. Pleased to hear that you received the photos. Regards and best wishes, Stanley. Underneath his name, underlined, is written in the same handwriting, Laurel and Hardy. As a youngster, I loved watching this comedy duo, and just the sound of the intro music would bring a smile to my face. I did go through a phase in my teens of just thinking they were a bit naff. But like a civilization going through the dark ages, I soon found my own renaissance when I started to see tricks of comedy being used in modern comedy that were taken out of, or at least paralleled, the work of Laurel and Hardy. The brick falling on the head, the cut to shot of a razor blade falling into a brush, and then cut back to the brush being picked up to clean off the dust on the posh suit of someone recently rescued from something unsavoury, leaving said suit in rags. There were so many parallels that it was just a matter of time before I started to explore them again. It happened when I'd just left school in my mid to late teens, and each weekday a Laurel and Hard episode would be put on. My mate Carl would come round and we'd sit, first watching, then sniggering, and after a few episodes we would find ourselves doing mannerisms, particularly of Hardy, who would put on very fine details of etiquette in wiping his moustache with a napkin, small finger sticking out, or similar when steering a car. The way that he would smile at his friend, holding the wheel with three fingers of one hand, and then make a circular movement with the other and lightly touch the centre of the wheel was just a joy to watch. Their eye for detail was exquisite, and yet each sketch within the episodes seemed to be so natural, belying the effort that they were putting in. It is so rare to see them televised these days, but I've been fascinated by how my own kids have reacted to them. Their easy favourite is called The Music Box, a piece about Hardy's fatal decision to form a delivery company and their task for the whole episode is to deliver a piano, in this case called a music box, up a long set of stairs, up to the house of Professor von Schwarzenhofen. From the first time the kids saw it, they were hooked, and it is easily the most requested one of them to watch. As a child, I was slightly afraid of the professor, played by Billy Gilbert, for his wonderful but quite scary rages when the slightest thing went wrong. And of course, things always did go wrong making me wonder if it is why my kids love it so much and see a Stan Laurel-type character in me. I particularly liked it when Stan Laurel would do something completely unexpected, such as blow on his thumb, which would cause his trademark bowler hat to rise slightly from his head, or he would use his thumb as a cigarette lighter to light Hardy's cigar. This would normally lead to Hardy, at first, just lighting the cigar, but then he would realise that the world was not all as he had expected, and then would look to camera, as though we, the audience, were being brought in personally on the gag. Considering that they were doing this in the late 1920s, I still smile when I see the legendary Morecambe and Wise 
or our fabulous contemporary Miranda Hart used this in their comedy. It still works, and probably came from a stage technique learned by Stan Laurel from his vaudeville years, but that's just my guess. Of course, the stage work that they'd both done before joining forces influenced them a great deal, and so singing was one of the things that they brought into their films. I'm not a fan of musicals and always feel slightly wrong-footed when a character in a musical goes from acting to prancing around in song, made worse when I'm surrounded by men and women of my age, staring gleefully at the film or stage, hands clasped together, smiling and clearly euphoric, while I sit there with my mouth slightly askew. Somehow, when Laurel and Hardy sang, it wasn't like that. It was somehow more that they were doing it for their own amusement, and of course it wasn't. It was always for ours, which we were reminded of when hearing the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. They were pretty good singers, but the unexpected curveballs that they threw in were the contrast that made for comedy gold. There are some things which are known to be particularly difficult to act because they're so tough to find a balance and to make humorous. Too much it looks cheap, too little. One is not sure what's trying to be achieved. I remember seeing an episode where they went off into the hills for Hardy to get fresh air. Not unexpectedly, it is called Themdar Hills. This was filmed at around the time of prohibition of alcohol in the US, and so the fun comes from Stan agreeing to take Ollie from nursing his bad foot in a hospital bed to the fresh air, where they end up in a kind of mobile home. Their only water supply is a well. Unbeknownst to them, though, some bootleggers dumped some moonshine in the well when being chased by the police. This leads to Laurel and Hardy, mistakenly, ending up getting extremely drunk. They then meet up with a lady whose husband, you guessed it, will turn up later. This episode is a masterclass in getting drunk comically. They end up in trouble when Mrs Hall's husband comes back and finds his wife smashed. Mr Hall, played by Charlie Hall, who was actually born in my hometown of Birmingham in the UK, starts a comedy battle. These are not like real battles where resistance is put up, but each takes turns to do something to the other. The table's then being turned, with the stakes raised. Laurel pops a cake on Hall's head, and Hardy pats it down firmly, Laurel nodding as though to say, There. Hall punches Hardy in the face, and dunks Laurel's face into the moonshine. All this happens quite quickly, but now the stakes are raised. Laurel sharpens two knives against each other, while Hall looks on. He then cuts Hall's fringe off, and Hall continues to watch on as Laurel gets a spoon smears the spoon with molasses, pastes it over Hall's chin, and then attaches the hair to his chin, making a makeshift beard. Hall growls at Laurel, but unperturbed, Laurel grabs a plunger and sticks it onto Hall's forehead. Again we see the look from Hall as he growls, looking at the camera as though to engage with us, and so the scene deteriorates further. The nearest I've seen to this kind of slapstick was when my mum took me to see the circus where Charlie Caroli was the clown. He had a stooge that he worked with who wore a kilt, a vest, and never spoke a word, but things were done to each other in a similar way, with one person waiting while the other filled his pockets with custard pies, then slapped his hands against the pockets, not copying, but just a trick from vaudeville theatre. Theatres, of course, have been in decline for years, and I wonder how many entertainment tricks have been completely lost by losing this genre. There is no doubt in my mind that vaudeville was a major part of the birth of modern scream comedy, and its birth came from the characters not only being committed to what they were doing, but loving it, even if it meant not being paid well. For many years, Laurel and Hardy were not paid well, and even had contracts that were always a few years out of sync to create the problem that if one person walked away from their contract, the other would be left unemployed. They were kept under the cosh, and I feel that they were abused, considering their real worth. 
It was because of a lack of funds that they came over to the UK to do tours in the early 1950s and were still loved hugely. Hardy by this stage was not well and their talk was disturbed by his being admitted to hospital. I often wondered what they would be like in person but one thing that really endeared me to them was when I was told the story of when staying at a hotel in Leamington Spa they were sitting in the foyer at the entrance of the hotel when a young girl on the street outside saw them, smiled a beaming smile at them and was pointing at them for her parents. The boys got up and did an impromptu performance on the steps of the hotel for an audience of one. That was the level of their commitment, that they were prepared to do their work, even if just one person was there to see it, and for nothing but the pleasure of doing it. So when they left Birmingham for Belfast, it was the last time that they came to the UK. On arrival at the Midland Hotel in Belfast, they were pretty much under siege because of the fans surrounding the building for the whole time that they were there. Both in failing health, their performances were suffering, and because they had not had the large salaries in Hollywood, and film had taken a different direction, they were now fairly reliant on theatre for an income, something they needed, having both had multiple marriages. They loved their audience and their fans. They both stopped a taxi while in Belfast to listen to a busker. Getting out, they stood and watched the busker finish his song and gave him half a crown, which at the time would have been a meal in a restaurant or a trip to the theatre, and then they just made their way to do whatever they were going to do. I like to think it was right that letter that sits in our hallway now. It seems incredible that this year, 2021, marks the hundred years since they were first billed together in the 1921 film Lucky Dog. You can still sometimes find this film online, and it really shows how they were coming from different backgrounds. Hardy had already been in hundreds of film shorts by this stage, usually as a thug, and he is seen in this film brandishing a gun as a mean criminal, while Laurel focuses on the detail of silly stuff, slapstick, nearly being run over by multiple trams and Model T Fords. It is the best example of two major talents seen before they gelled as a true comedy duo, with Laurel as the main fall guy. At university, I lived with a mate who was keen to make me the fall guy where possible. One year, on return from summer holidays, he had made sure that he got to our student accommodation before I had. He found our second year joining envelopes, and while filling his in, he decided to open mine, get my student union card out, and filled it out himself. He found a photo of me with a stinking hangover on a cold day with messed up hair, looking a greenish-white. He cut the photo out, stuck it on my card, and signed it, Ah Shit, and then took it down to the offices at the university to have it officially stamped. It remained my ID card for a year, so I had a year of being a fall guy. Not possible in such films, of course, but again, something that Lewis and I still laugh about and has given me a story to tell throughout my life. Lewis is of Scots origin, and I was reminded of this story when thinking about the most famous male support to Laurel and Hardy, James Finlayson. His Scottish accent was so distinctive, and I remember him always saying dope when he'd just had enough of Laurel and Hardy's behaviour, but always bringing a laugh. I had not realised until recently that Dan Castellanata modelled Homer Simpson's dough on James Finlayson's. James' slight squint gave a wonderful look to Finlayson's stare. Having just said dough, even he would look at the camera for the audience's empathy. Once you see it, you just can't unsee it. His best outing for me was in the episode where he played the bride's father, Peter Cucumber, and the whole wedding was ruined for Hardy by Laurel buying him the wedding present of a jigsaw puzzle, which on becoming distracted, he and all of his entourage become so absorbed in the puzzle that they miss the wedding and Hardy's life is in ruins once again. Passing Laurel and Hardy every day at the bottom of our stairs is a constant reminder to not always take life too seriously.